Uh, hey, it's great to be with you again uh, this morning. Um, uh, my wife and I uh, drove up here last night. We actually spent the weekend in Calgary. So my youngest son, uh, Cole, our youngest son, is playing basketball uh, this weekend in Calgary, and it was great. He's in grade 12, so uh, we don't have tons of opportunity to kind of watch him anymore. And so we're kind of those super fans that end up traveling a little bit. And so we, uh, we followed him uh, into Calgary uh, for the weekend. They had five games in four days, and it was, it was interesting for them because um, they were short players. So they only had seven players uh, for their five games in four days. The rest of their team was playing volleyball this weekend at Provincials, and then they'll join the team for the, uh, you know, starting this week. And, um, and the other challenge for them is just kind of the way they play. So they, uh, they play a really fast game. They're a small team. Uh, they're fairly skilled, but they're small, and they play a very fast game. So if you know anything about basketball, on defense, they choose to press, which means that they're in your face all the time, the whole length of the court. They don't wait for you to come to them. They go to, they go to you. And then on offense, they play a very fast kind of transition game. So if they can get the ball and move it up the floor really fast, everyone's running all the time. That's kind of how they do. Now, you can do that for one game. That's great. But when you start having to do that multiple games with a very small bench, it can become pretty tiring. And so we would show up at the game you know, uh, each day wondering, you know, kind of how would they be prepared for the game? And we were looking for different signs, right? Like, what was their body language on the floor? How well were they moving? Uh, you know, was there good energy level? Those were the things that when Jen and I would walk in the gym, we were checking. I tried not to like overtext him to make sure that he got himself prepared. You know what I mean? I was, I was trusting the coach to look after that and they would do that as a team. And, and it was interesting, the last game they played against probably one of the uh, uh, larger uh, teams in Calgary, a school called Notre Dame's really big school. And when Jen and I walked in the gym, we were a little overwhelmed by the experience because this was by far the biggest team they'd ever played against. Everyone near as we could tell was around like six three and above, and they were big and they could jump. And so it was just like a dunk fest for a warm up. And I remember thinking of my poor little skinny son who was going to, you know, enter into this game. And and uh, and I remember just watching him, just trying to see, you know, how prepared were they? What what had happened? you know, before they got to the floor? What were the signs that we could see that, you know, this was going to be a game that was going to be fun to watch and they were actually going to be in? We were, we were looking for those signs. You know, as followers of Christ, um, man, people are watching us. You know what I mean? They're watching us. We're in a world where, where culture is watching us, where, where people are, are asking questions about how we're going to show up for the most, you know, kind of difficult situations that we've been called into. When I talk to my friends and we talk about, you know, this next generation, our young adults and our high school students who are, who are you know, trying to ask lots of questions about faith, one of, the, one of the questions that my friends are asking me is they're saying, hey, Sid, how will the church answer the hardest questions that this generation is asking? And they're looking. They're, they're looking to try to figure out, you know, how we'll deal with issues of justice, of, with issues of, of, of poverty, with, with issues of, you know, all the significant issues that we're dealing with right now within our culture and within our world. And they're asking the questions, you know, how are we going to show up? What are the signs that we're going to be faithful in this moment that we've been called to? What are the signs that reveal that we actually believe in a God who we say we believe in? That we've actually met with a God 
you know, that we say wants to meet with us? What are the signs that are going to be revealed, you know, in our lives? And this is a really interesting moment. You know, I think in history, for us anyways, in recent history, this is such a significant moment for us as a church because, because in many ways we're in crisis, or at least we feel that way, right? We've talked about this before. I mean, we're, we're getting close to the second year of this pandemic. And there's some of us, myself, at times I'm like, man, like, are we going to make it through this? What's it going to look like for us on the other side of this? If there even is another side of this. And then, you know, what will we actually be encountering, you know, when we get to that space? Because the truth of the matter is, the scripture is clear that creation is broken. It's groaning, longing for something better, renewed, restored. There's this reality. So even when this season is over, you know, what's the next going to bring? Because it's not, it's not made right yet. There's, there's more coming. And who are we going to be in this space? Who are we going to be in this space? You know, our, 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 our series is titled Signs of a Savior. But the angle I want to take today is, you know, what, what are the signs in our lives? What are the signs that should show that we've actually met with the Savior? What are the signs that the world is going to be looking for to see that that God's actually at work in our lives in the midst of this time right now? What can we bring into this space? What does authentic faith actually look like for us in a time such as this? What could it be? We're going to take a look at Luke chapter 1, story of Mary. And, and I just want to, I'm wrestling with this idea that when Jesus shows up, when we meet with the Savior, you know, he challenges us. And when he challenges us, what's the, what's the kind of response that we should have that reflects we've actually met with the Savior? What does that look like for us to be faithful? And I just want to say this. It's really interesting when I was prepping for this, looking at Luke chapter 1. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm kind of doing some contextual work to, to see what's the, what's the context, what's taking place, what's going on here. And then I was reflecting on the context that we're in right now. We talk about this, you know, being a little bit of a fragile time for the church. How will we respond as a church in the season we're in? You know, it, how, you know, it, because we've been apart, we've been separated, you know. And when we did the study of Ezra, if you were with us in the last series, we talked about this idea that, you know, when, when the Israelite nation went back from exile into Israel to rebuild the temple, they were rebuilding for like three years and then they paused for 16 years. They focused on building their own houses as opposed to God's house for 16 years. And you kind of go, God sustained them through that. And he continued to work on the other side of that. If ever the church had felt fragile, it must have been in that time when they felt really fragile, but still God worked. And I think about this time right now, you take a look at this, the angel of the Lord. We're going to look in Luke chapter one, verse 26 to 38. The angel of the Lord has just finished coming to a gentleman named Zechariah, who's a relative of Mary, told Zechariah that he and his wife were of old age, are going to have a child who's actually going to point to the Savior coming. It's John the Baptist, they're speaking of him coming. He's going to be a pointer to the Savior, Jesus Christ coming. And then the angel of the Lord shows up with Mary, shows up to Mary and tells her that she is going to be the mother of the Savior, right? And all of a sudden we have these moments where God is showing up and speaking and people are responding. And I think if you're like, like me, you might go, man, if only God would show up like that, like that right now, like, man, we'd be in like no problems, no concerns. We're good to go. Do you realize, reading the scriptures, that, you know, the angel of the Lord shows up in Luke chapter one, but essentially, if you understand history, it was 400 years before that, that he had last spoken. Like the Old Testament 
was finished written 400 years before the angel of the Lord shows up here to like Zechariah and Mary. And then he comes and now we see this new movement happening. Can you imagine how fragile the people of God must have felt for 400 years? And yet God was still at work. And he wasn't finished with his people. He wasn't finished with his church. And I just want to say to us right now, right here, God is not done with us. He's not finished his work. We might feel fragile. We might feel uncertain. He is not finished. I've been speaking with a few camp directors over the last little while. And they're talking about planning for the summer, which is, you know, such a significant time for the next generation to experience God at work in and through them, right? We love camp. I mean, I don't know too many more environments where, where there's a better opportunity to do leadership development in terms of faith with the next generation than camp. And right now, camp directors would say to me that we are more uncertain about the summer than we have ever been before. It feels fragile. But what I want to say to us is when we understand history and we understand who God is, I want to say to us people, there is hope. God is at work. He always has been, he is, and he always will. And he has said so clearly, man, not even the gates of hell will stand against the work of the church, right? When we do God's work for his glory, for the good of all people, when we do that kind of work, he is, he, he is moving. And he will continue to build his church. He continues to have a plan. And he is at work even when we don't see it, even when we're not aware of it. But the question is, when we become aware of it, how should we respond? What does it look like? What is the sign of having met with the Savior? What does it look like for us when we experience God at work, especially in times like these when it feels difficult and hard? Okay, that's the story with Mary. Here we go. Luke chapter 1. Three things that we see when Jesus shows up. And by the way, when I'm talking about Jesus showing up, it's the angel of the Lord. It's Gabriel that's showing up here. He's speaking on behalf of God and he's talking about Jesus. So God is at work. This is God, this is God at work showing up. And he challenges Mary and she responds in a whole bunch of ways. But there's three ways that she responds that I think is really important for us, especially in challenging times. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. So Jesus shows up. God shows up. The angel of God shows up with a message from God about Jesus. Shows up to Mary and he says, hey, greetings, favored one. By the way, Mary, she's like a teenager, right? In those days... You know, generally speaking, you got married at around like 13, 14 years old, maybe up to 15. So she's young. She's young. She's engaged. And engagement then was a little bit different than engagement is for us now. It was a legal commitment for about one year. It was a time designed to show that you were faithful, that you were pure, that you were committed. That was kind of the experience. And the angel of the Lord comes to Mary. In this moment, she's setting up the rest of her life. Like the rest of her life is getting set up in the space. And he comes to her and he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. It's so interesting to me how she responds, man. I mean, there's emotional movement in her life. This isn't small. Like, this is shocking for her. You know, it's funny because I sometimes think, man, if only God would show up and come talk to me, how cool would that, that be? Do you know what I mean? Like, how cool would it be if we could actually experience God physically present in that way? What a game changer that would be for us. I don't think we often think about it the right way we should, like when we read the scriptures. 
Because if you've ever noticed in the scriptures, when God shows up, it's very rarely described as that was so cool. It's almost always described as terrifying, like shocking, disturbing, wreck my life kind of moments, right? When the angel shows up for Zechariah, he's terrified. Like he's like, he's freaked out. This is not really happening here. When the angels show up for the shepherds, oh, holy night and terrifying. Like we are scared. We're undone. We're finished. The angel shows up with Mary and he speaks these words, oh, favored one. And she's just undone. Like she's, she's undone, she's shocked. It's just, it's like it, it wrecks her world. The reality is, you guys, when God shows up, he really does, he wrecks our world. And this is so hard for us. I think one of the reasons it's so hard for us, you know, we did research with about 2,000 young adults across the country and we were talking to them about how they perceived God and what were the things that helped them grow in their relationship with God and pushed them away. When we asked them to describe to us, you know, who God was, the kind of language that they used about God was that he was this being that was fairly distant. If things went wrong, he would come in, fix them for us, and then go back. And they said this, that essentially his job was to make us feel good and be happy. That's essentially what God's job is. That's not what God does here. He doesn't come to Mary and make her feel good and be happy. She is undone. She's disturbed. And you kind of go like, why is that? I think there's probably a couple of reasons. Like, I think there's a couple of reasons when we have a true encounter with God, when we get really serious about meeting with God here, I think there's a couple of reasons why it kind of messes us up. I think, first of all, because I'm so much of what he says, it just like offends our cultural sensibilities. You know, like you read his stuff in his word and you're like, are you really saying that? Like in this like woke culture where everything's getting canceled, I don't think I can say that, Jesus. Like, do you understand this culture that, you're, that you're, you've come into? Like, like this isn't, you're not, you're not being really sensitive here. Like this is offensive language. Hey, we shouldn't be surprised if God offends our cultural sensibilities. Can I be honest on that? We really shouldn't be. If we read his word, he offends our cultural sensibilities. Probably shouldn't shock us. Why? Because our culture didn't make him. We didn't. He's our creator. We didn't create him. And the reality is at some point, his word will probably offend every single culture in our world because he's not beholden to any culture. He's actually calling all human beings to a completely different culture, right? I mean, think about forgiveness. You know, in the West, we actually kind of like forgiveness. We love the idea of second chances. We want our athletes who make mistakes, do wrong things, get another chance to come back and win the day for us. We get excited about that. We like forgiveness. We like second chances. If you're from the Middle East, forgiveness is not such good news necessarily, right? This whole idea that I'm supposed to go and forgive my enemy. Are you kidding? I forgive my enemy and my enemy kills me. That's not safe. That offends my sensibilities. Or maybe if it comes to like, you know, sexuality and sexual practice in the West, we're so offended by God's position on these things because, because it's so prudish, it's so constricting, it's so controlling. But again, you go to the East and they're offended, not because it's constricting or controlling, but it's too liberal, it's too open. Like, you got to shut that down. And he just keeps offending our cultural sensibilities all over the place. Why? Because he's actually calling us to a completely different way of being. 
I remember when Cole was first going to, to play with his new basketball team in the new high school or he went to, and he was pretty nervous. We were talking about it in the car, and he was just like, how do I fit in, Dad? What does this look like for me? This is going to be difficult. And I remember finally coming into a place and saying, hey, son. He goes, yeah, Dad. I'm like, if you're serious about Jesus, you just, at some point, you're not fitting in. You just got to own that. At some point, you're not fitting in. Do you know who you are, son, in this space? You are an alien and you are a stranger. That's what God's word says. You are called to a completely different way than what's around you. And you shouldn't be surprised if it gets difficult and it's hard and it messes with you and creates friction because God's calling you to be something different, completely different culture. And this is us in this space. We are aliens and strangers. We are here for a time to do the good work that God has called us to do, but this is not our home. We're from a different culture and we will go back to a different space. So he messes with us because of the things that he says, but he also, it also becomes really uncomfortable for us, not just because of what he says, but because of what it reveals about us. When we end up in his presence, it just kind of shows us that we're probably not quite as good as we thought we were, you know? When the holy, powerful God shows up, it reveals in us that we are so lacking. We think we're so good and we have what it takes, but honestly, when we really see Jesus, we realize that there is nothing we can do to get into his favor. And yet, what does he say to Mary? He calls her favored one. He says, your favored one. And it says that from his saying, she's disturbed because she's like, how can I be the favored one? The only reason she could be a favored one was because of Jesus. Because of the gospel and the reality that was to come. And it wasn't because she was simply the mother of Jesus that she was the favored one. It's because she carried in her the Jesus who would make her a favored one in the same way that he would make you and I favored ones by his work on the cross, right? And by his work on the cross, he takes our sin and our brokenness on himself. He places his rightness on us. And because of what he's done, we are now his favored ones. You guys, this is us. This is us. This is a sign of the Savior at work in us when we realize this and it moves us. It moves us. When Jesus confronts Mary, when he challenges Mary, She becomes emotionally honest in the moment. And we are called to be that too. It's okay if he rattles us. It's okay if he moves us. It's okay if he disturbs us. And God never tells us to like not be honest about that. He says, this is, this is right. It should disturb us. We should wrestle with this. When Jesus shows up, he challenges us and he moved Mary emotionally. That's the first response. There was an honest emotional response. But the second way she responds is not just with her emotions. She responds intelligently, thoughtfully. When Jesus shows up, he challenges us and he moves our intellect. He, he challenges our thinking. Listen to what happens. It says this, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you in verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Discern, that word discern. It's a Greek word that means to make an audit. It's like an accounting word. It means to be adding things up, weighing and pondering. You know, it's it's intensely rational. And he engages Mary's mind. She she meets with with Gabriel. He's coming to her with news of Jesus. 
And she just begins to process and the questions are rolling and she's wrestling with this in her mind. She's, she's intensely rational in this moment. And the angel goes on and says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Second time he says that. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Like, seriously, how can this be? And she's troubled and she's wrestling. You know, he says to her twice, your favorite one, because he's just trying to, hey, I need you to get this. It's okay. I know this, is, I know this is wrecking your world. The vision for your future isn't what you thought it would be. It feels way more uncertain now, really dangerous right now. But trust me, your favorite. This is God's grace on you. Your favorite. And now she's wrestling. And so she starts asking her questions. Have you ever felt guilty for asking your questions? Have you ever felt guilty for maybe doubting? for wondering, you know? I think sometimes we hear people say things like, hey, you should just you know, set your mind aside. Don't search so hard. Just believe. It's all going to be fine. You know, God never really does that, right? In fact, I think God actually does the opposite, right? When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your what? Mind. Mind. He doesn't ask us to check our minds at the door. He asks us to engage thoughtfully. He's not afraid of our questions. In fact, I think he welcomes our questions. He invites them in. He's not afraid of our doubts. You know, some of us, we, we struggle more than others. Some of us have more doubts than others. I get that. Did you ever think that maybe the doubts you have could possibly be God's grace to you? Because they're actually putting you in a place where you have to look for better answers? Maybe that's God's grace to you, that in the midst of your doubt, you could actually know that God still loves you and is at work. He's moving you to better answers, looking for deeper explanations. That maybe that's part of God's plan for you to love him with your mind, right? Now, there's a type of doubt that's not loving God. There's a type of doubt that some of us have, that'd probably be me, where it's more about loving myself, more about me wanting to be in control rather than giving up control, right? There's a doubt that, that seeks answers, that's good, but there's often a doubt that's a defense against the possibility of answers. I mean, some of us have to own that. You know, in our home right now, our garage is like, that's, it's full of stuff. It really does need to get cleaned up. And sometimes my wife might come to me and say, kind of like, hey, you know, we should clean that garage. And by we, that's probably mostly me. I should probably clean that garage. And it's interesting because I've got all these doubts in my mind at the idea of a clean garage. Like, I'm like, man, there is so much stuff in there. Could we ever actually get that clean? Is that even a possibility? And then I'm thinking like, man, like, do we even have a vehicle that could take so much of that stuff to the garbage? Like, babe, I don't even know if that's possible. That'd be a waste of gas. Like, do we even have resources to be able to do that? And then I'm like, you know, the dumpster is pretty full at the camp. So I, you know, I don't think that's going to work. And I have all these questions about it. The reality is I'm not looking for answers, Right? The reality is, like, I don't want to believe it's possible. <laughs> I think for some of us, we have doubts, and the doubts are good. They're looking for answers. But for some of us, our doubts are not simply because it's hard to believe. Our doubts are in place because we don't want to believe. We want to be in control. We want to find an easier way forward. We, we, we want to be God is essentially what it is. But God calls to us, and he comes to us, and he calls us to something more. To come to this place, not where we like give up our questions, 
but where we realign our questions in such a way that they're a pursuit of God instead of a running from him. So when Jesus shows up, when the angel of the Lord shows up speaking of Jesus, the sign that he's present with Mary is not only is she emotionally honest, but she's, in, she's intellectually thoughtful and she begins to wrestle. And then finally, the sign that she has had an encounter with God and there's this movement of faith is she like just surrenders herself holistically. God ultimately moves her holistically and her life is just like changed. Listen to what it says, verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. He comes to her and he says, nothing's impossible with God. This is crazy stuff. I know you're wrestling. I know it's shaking you. I know you're disturbed. But I need you to know nothing's impossible with God. And he has this plan on your life. And I know it's not your plan, but that's okay. It's a better plan. A harder plan, but it's a better plan. And Mary in verse 38 says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Did you hear that? She doesn't just make a statement of something she's going to do. She makes a statement of who she is. Essentially what she says is she goes, okay, God, I give it up. It's not my life. It's your life. It was never my life in the first place. It's your life. I remember like years and years ago, I was speaking here at Ellerslie. We did a youth retreat. And we were talking about deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And, and I was just reflecting on this idea that there's things that God might call us to do that we might come to a point and go, man, if I do this, I could lose my life. God, are you serious about this? But the reality is if we claim to be a Christian, then we are dead already. That's actually true in one sense, right? It's no longer I who live, but God who is alive in me that we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, an act of worship, that because Christ has given himself for me, now my life completely belongs to him. And it's true. Mary acknowledges that. She says, it's not my life. It's your life, Lord. And then she says, let it be to me according to your word. Whatever you want, I'm in. This is hard for us. I think it's so hard for us because we have so many dreams and ideas and visions for our lives. And there's this real fear and this real tension that if we would really act in this way, if this would really be our step of faith, that, that the Lord might actually take something from us that we've been holding on to so tightly. But here's the reality. When we realize who God is, like really realize who God is, when we realize that he knows us better than we know ourselves, he's our creator, right? He's our creator. And we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only is he our creator, he is our recreator. That when Christ came, he died to give us new life, to restore, renew, to recreate. He loves us infinitely more than we could imagine, more than we could ever love ourselves, right? When we realize that this is who he is, and we come to this place and we say, okay, God, whatever you want, I'm in. Let it be according to your word. We come to this place, and here's the step of faith. The step of faith in that moment is saying, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you that if there is something in my life that you're going to remove in this moment, for Mary, it was the vision of being like valued by her community because she was going to be married 
And now people are going to look at her and say, you were pregnant before you were married. And it was the opposite of value in that moment. There was a loss of security because she may have been removed from community because of this. There's a chance that Joseph would never believe what she said. She could even lose that security of the marriage and everything that went along with that. I mean, it was so much risk. And we come to this place and we take this risk and we go, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this. Here's what we're saying. We're saying, God, my life isn't mine. It's yours anyways. You are the one who defines me. I don't decide who I am because of how I feel about myself. You are the objective other who decides who I am. And I'm going to trust you that if you take something from me in this moment, because you're my creator and because you love me, then I'm going to trust you that whatever you take was never supposed to define me in the first place. And it's actually keeping me from being the real human you had originally designed me to be. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust that somehow you will provide, that somehow you will renew, that somehow you will make me to be the person you originally designed me to be. And in that space, that's the life that I've actually been longing for. Whether I'm aware of it or not, that's you. I'm going to trust you in that. And man, when we can come that way before God, when we have that kind of vision of the Savior, when we see him, that is a sign that's transforming to the culture around us. It really is. Because in that moment, we become people resilient, strong, not easily offended. We can be inviting to the other, including our enemies, because even our enemies are no longer a threat to us because all that matters is the God who created us and the God who died for us. That's all that matters. And I think the angel is trying to say this to Mary because that God who who's going to recreate her was the God that was in her. How crazy is that? And the reason the angel of the Lord could say you are the favored one was not because of what she had done, but because of what the one in her, Jesus Christ, was going to do for you, for her. And it's the same thing that he has done for you and I. And we see that. And when we acknowledge that, and when we meet with Jesus in this deep and intimate way, when we are emotionally honest, when we are intellectually thoughtful, and ultimate, when we come completely trusting Man, we are transformed. We are changed. And we are the people in the midst of, man, difficult, confusing, pressured times. In these spaces, we can be a non-anxious presence by his grace and be people that can, God can use in powerful ways. Powerful ways. You know, it's interesting how Mary responds. She leaves this time. And then she goes to meet with her relative Elizabeth. And when she goes, Elizabeth acknowledges actually what's taking place. And Elizabeth reaffirms and says to Mary this in verse like 42 says, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of the womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she, speaking of Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary responds. She's confronted with the reality of what's taken place. She sees the reality. She sees Jesus. And she says this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God. She sees the beauty of Jesus in the midst of such uncertainty, difficulty. And she what? She praises. She rejoices the midst of tears, in the midst of difficulty and uncertainty. She like rejoices. Why? Because even though she may lose everything else, what she can't lose is God at work in her, God for her, God with her. And nothing compares to that. And that's the sign of the Savior at work in us. When, the, when we are at 
like when the threats are real and it's real, we might lose everything. All the things that we value could be gone. It could be difficult. We don't know. It's uncertain. In the midst of those tears, when still we can praise, when still we can even rejoice in the midst of these fears, you got my, that changes everything. And the culture begins to look at us and say, okay, what is it you have that I need? Because everything that I value is at risk and still you're okay. How is that? And we go, oh, we've met with the Savior. (laughs) We know what he's doing. He's at work. And it hasn't been easy. We've had ups and downs emotionally. We've had to wrestle with lots of doubts. But ultimately, we came to a place where we just said, I'm not in control anyways. So God, my life is yours. Do with me as you see fit. You're my creator. You're my recreator. You love me. Okay, I'm good. Let's go. And when we do that, man, we become a a type of presence in our culture that our culture is longing for. And God shapes us and works in us and he works through us. May that be the type of faith that God is calling us to in this time. Let me pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for who you are. You're so good to us. And Jesus, we want to have... We should want to have an honest encounter with you. It seems to me when I look in your word, when people have these honest encounters with you, it goes a little different than what they think. But Lord, we know this is what we were wired for. We were wired for you. We're, we, we need you, Jesus. And you have provided a way for us to be with you because of your work on the cross, because of the gospel. We're so thankful. It was because of your work on the cross that was going to happen that Mary could be favored. And it's because of your work on the cross that has happened that we are favored. Amazing. And I just ask that we would respond with right faith, Lord. That a sign of meeting with you, our Savior, would be that we're emotionally honest. Absolutely. You don't ask us to run away from those things. Father, that we would be intellectually engaged. We would look for good answers. We would wrestle with our doubts. We would bring those before you, knowing that you're okay. We don't have to be ashamed of that. You're okay. But ultimately, Lord, we would come to a place where we would entrust ourselves to you. We would just acknowledge that our lives are not our own. They belong to you. We were bought at a price and you're so good and you're so loving. And you want to shape us and make us into the people you designed us to be. And that's where life is, Lord. Hard but good life is. May we see you. May we be shaped and transformed by you. And then may we be conduits of your grace wherever we are in this season in your name. Amen.